Welcome, and thank you for joining Latter-day Stonecatchers, where we believe the gospel is love-centered and stones should be caught and never thrown. My name is Jeff, and whether you're joining through YouTube or the podcast, I'm glad you're here. This week, I really want to focus on Easter. We'll get back to our regular Come Follow Me study before next Sunday, but for today, it's all about Easter. And I want to share with you a message that I might give as part of an Easter service. And before I forget, I absolutely wish everybody a happy and Christ-centered Easter. I hope you're able to find joy this Resurrection Sunday. On Easter Sunday, we celebrate with Christians throughout the world the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth, whom we call the Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah. Each year we commemorate his victory over death on Easter Sunday. We remember and remind each other and even testify both in our words and in our hearts that he is indeed risen. And what is it about this day that brings so much joy? What is it about this day that fills pews with people, eyes with tears, and mouths with shouts of Hosanna? It is the message that this victory by the only begotten Son was not a victory won for him, but a victory won for every single person on this planet. Every single person who ever has lived, is now living, or will yet live. That's over 100 billion souls and counting. The joy of this day is rooted in the belief or hope that when we or our loved ones or even the stranger down the street pass from this mortal life, it will not be into an endless abyss of nothingness, but into the embrace of a loving God and into the heavenly home of our divine parents. As I was pondering this glorious message earlier this week, driving through the beautiful countryside of Virginia in the springtime, I received a clear message in my mind. Don't wait for the resurrection. Admittedly, I am not one to receive distinct messages from the Spirit, so this caught me completely off guard, and I could not stop thinking about it. Don't wait for the resurrection. I was struck that although the Messiah accomplished an infinite amount of healing, potentially in an instant when he was resurrected and thereby broke the bands of death, he spent his life healing with an approach that could be called inefficient one by one. Think about this. He knew that his resurrection would bring about the miraculous healing of all of creation, so complete, so infinite and incredible that literally one hair of our heads would not be lost, to say nothing of the healing this would bring in response to all the other ailments and atrocities that accompany this mortal life for more than 100 billion people. This resurrection was set into motion just three days after his death. And yet, for three years, he devoted every single moment of his mortal life to healing individuals individually. Lepers, blind men, outcast women, those condemned by the law and those possessed by evil spirits, the brokenhearted and the paralyzed, even raising the dead. He as the Son of God, surely knew that in the span of eternities, these maladies and tragedies, though surely difficult in the moment, were but a small moment. And he knew his resurrection would bring each of these people the healing they sought, and even to a degree that our mortal minds cannot even comprehend. And yet, he healed. Sometimes I think that his healing victory was so great on that first Easter morning 2,000 years ago, that we forget the healing ministry of every other morning of his life. 
we can get caught up in the excitement of the hope that one day we will be resurrected, that we forget that today there are those all around us who need healing now. We can spend so much energy looking forward to the day when Jesus will embrace us in heavenly glory that we forget to look around to see who among us needs to be embraced in heavenly love now. We wait for the resurrection. Believe it or not, the same thing happened even during Jesus' mortal ministry. There's a short account in Luke 7 of only a handful of verses that teaches a powerful lesson. At this point, John the Baptist is in prison for vocally condemning King Herod's marriage. During his difficult time in prison, he surely must have clung to the words of Jesus that he would visit and even free the prisoner and the captive. John had previously testified that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, was the Lamb of God, who taketh away the sin of the world. John was a prisoner and in desperate need of seeing the fulfillment of the promise of a Messiah who frees prisoners from oppression. Perhaps his faith began to waver, or maybe he just grew impatient. Whatever the reason, he sent two of his disciples to ask Jesus this question. Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? If we were among Jesus' disciples in this moment, how might we have responded? Or if we didn't have the courage to respond, what would we have thought about these supposed disciples who were questioning the divine messiahship of our master, the master? Or what would we have thought about John the Baptist, who previously bore powerful testimony that Jesus was indeed the Son of God after he himself baptized Jesus? Perhaps we would have said, or at least thought, words that Jesus sometimes spoke to some of the twelve. O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Or maybe we would have even expected Jesus to say something like this to them. But that's not what happens. In Luke's account, Jesus doesn't respond at first, at least not with words. The very next thing recorded after this question from John the Baptist's disciples is this. And in that same hour, he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits. And unto many that were blind, he gave sight. So they ask if he's the Messiah, and he responds by healing those who stand in need of healing. And then he speaks these words. Go your way and tell John what things ye have seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached. And then a warning. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Or other translations say, And blessed is he whosoever shall not be scandalized in me. Or blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. John was looking forward with anticipation to the time when the promise of the Messiah, as he understood it, would be fulfilled resulting in the overthrow of the Roman Empire and establishment of God's kingdom. Surely, John reasoned, he should not be in prison if the Messiah was here. And this looking forward could potentially cause them to stumble or be offended or even scandalized. Why? Because Jesus was spending time with outcasts, the lame, the discarded, the sinners, he was including them in his kingdom and starting a grassroots movement rather than destroying those deemed as enemies and establishing himself as monarch. These disciples didn't understand that to be the Messiah, 
is to be the healer. His kingdom would not result in political, societal, or geographic domination. It would be a place where the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and to the poor the gospel is preached. These disciples were looking right past the people in front of them that needed healing now in anticipation of the healing they would personally receive in the future. To me, the lesson from Jesus here is that we cannot be so wrapped up in promises of the future that we neglect deeds of discipleship today. Should we rejoice and celebrate and sing praises because of the promise of the resurrection? Absolutely yes. But that cannot be our worship. That cannot be our religion. As James tells us, true religion is to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction caring for those in need and healing those who stand in need of healing. And if this is true religion, as James says, we should not let anything get in the way. I regret to say that just a few days ago, I did let something get in the way. Let me tell you that story. My wife works with a short, stubborn, smiley, and strong woman at a local bakery. We'll call her Kathy. Kathy owns this bakery that she's devoted her life to, serving a small town near where we live. She and her mom started it almost four decades ago. My wife Jessica has been working there for not quite a year, and in that time she and Kathy have become friends. Unfortunately, Kathy's husband recently fell very ill. Jessica, being the incredible woman that she is, stepped up to keep things running smoothly at the bakery so Kathy could spend time with her husband. Unfortunately, his health declined rapidly. The Saturday before Holy Week starts, what is sometimes referred to as Lazarus Saturday, my wife arrived home in the afternoon after spending the day mostly alone in the bakery. It was a beautiful day and we took a short walk to enjoy some sunshine and catch up on our days so far. She told me she wanted to visit Kathy at her home and take her some food. Kathy's husband had just been transferred home from the hospital under hospice care and Jessica knew that she would need some food and, maybe more importantly, a hug. Jessica asked if I would go with her, but I had some other things going on that day, including attendance to a church meeting, a meeting we had been planning on attending together. I declined Jessica's offer and lingered at a park near our home with a few of our children, friends, and neighbors. But Jessica knew that she needed to go now, so she left to prepare what was needed before visiting Kathy. As I stood there in the park, I knew I had made the wrong decision. I knew I was forgetting the weightier matters of the law, so I decided that I would accompany Jessica. But I waited. I didn't go home immediately, and as I was getting close to home, I saw the back of Jessica's car. She was going to do what she knew she should be doing. She was following in Jesus' footsteps and fulfilling true religion as defined by James. And I attended a church meeting but I didn't hear a single thing that was said in that meeting. All I could think about were the times that Jesus had set aside norms and even broken laws to provide healing to whoever was in front of him, or sometimes even people miles out of his way. Healing the blind, the sick, the lame, and casting out evil spirits on the Sabbath day as religious leaders looked on in spite. Touching lepers with healing, as others looked on with disgust. Allowing a woman, known only as a sinner, to wash his feet with her tears. 
dry them with her hair, and anoint them with costly ointment to the likely displeasure of the owner of the house, and telling her that her faith had healed her, revealing his messiahship to a Samaritan woman with a trauma-filled past who, according to the law, was currently living in sin, as his disciples only wondered why he was talking to her. Jesus, our master teacher, our rabbi, provided healing no matter the circumstance and no matter the social or religious consequence. And I told myself at that moment that I would do the same. I would not pass up a chance to provide healing and hope to those who needed it. Unfortunately, this point was driven home to me fully when we received word on Monday morning, just 36 hours later, that Kathy's husband had passed away. My heart broke for Kathy and the devastation and emptiness she must be feeling, and I felt a deep pang of guilt that I had not taken the opportunity to be with both her and her husband on Saturday. Not willing to make the same mistake again, I asked Jessica if she'd like us to get some flowers and go visit Kathy now. She said, of course. And then I moved work meetings to prioritize what was most important in that moment. We picked up flowers and drove silently to Kathy's house, both of us with tear-filled eyes. We dropped off the flowers, and as we drove home, I received that strong message I mentioned already. Don't wait for the resurrection. I received that message because I had made that mistake. I had waited, and I deeply regretted it. There are people all around us in need of healing. And while restoring sight to the blind and movement to the paralyzed likely feel completely out of reach, the master healer didn't command that we do these things. He commanded only that we love. In fact, teaching that his disciples would be known for their love one towards another, because the sharing of divine love can and will bring about miracles of healing in hearts, homes, families, and communities. And if we want a perfect example of this, we of course have to look no further than the life of Jesus. In fact, even on the very morning of his resurrection, Mary Magdalene had been the first to the tomb that Easter morning, another testament to just how devoted of a disciple she was. She found the tomb empty and then likely in a panic ran to get Peter and John. They ran back to where Jesus had been buried, saw he was not there, and then went home leaving Mary alone outside the empty tomb of her healer. John records what happens next. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? 
Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni. Jesus said to her, Do not touch me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This morning mirrored every other morning of the Messiah's mortal ministry. He healed the one. On that resurrection morning, a morning that would be commemorated, celebrated, and honored until the end of time, Jesus once again did not wait for the resurrection to provide healing and comfort to someone in need. On this day of all days, when the enemies of death and hell had been defeated by the divine Son, the King of Kings was not found on a throne. But in a quiet and almost empty garden, comforting one who was weeping. One who likely felt left behind and alone. So on this Easter morning, we should look forward to the day of resurrection and restoration. We should have faith in Jesus' promise that for any who just see and believe in him, he will raise them up at the last day. And that faith should bring us to gather and sing and speak and praise him for this gift of resurrection. And it should also bring us to reach out with hope and healing now. Don't wait for the resurrection. There are those within our reach in desperate need of feeling divine love now. As disciples of him who I testify was was risen almost 2,000 years ago. Let us pray and work to ensure no person feels that they are outside the reach of divine love, the tent of Zion, the kingdom of God. No matter their age, No matter their age, race, gender identity, sexual orientation, or any other personal identifiers. No matter what they have done or what they have not done. Let us do.
let us do as he who was risen did in his mortal ministry and offer love and healing to all. Happy Easter.